Good morning, church family. I'm so glad to see all of you here in person, and I'm glad to see our church family online. We have uh, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you know this or not. We've got brothers and sisters uh, who are joining us in worship, literally, literally from all over the world. My wife had a conversation uh, with... uh, uh, just a dear couple from South Korea just uh, last night. And so uh, they uh, are, have been uh, uh, enjoying worship with Windsor Road Christian Church. And so uh, we are delighted uh, to have everyone here. And the Holy Spirit in this season is keeping us together. Is he not? He's keeping us together. And so uh, I am so happy uh, that uh, the Lord provided uh, dry, uh, a few dry hours for us to come and to uh, enjoy Him together as a church family. And uh, um, I, I miss, <laughs> I miss us. And I'm grateful for each of us. And I want you to know that very, very much. And it makes... Um, a series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, particularly meaningful to us uh, because it's more than just rote scriptural poetry. Uh, it is it's life, life in Christ. And so we're just taking a journey through uh, each of the verses of the Lord's Prayer and... Uh, We're going to continue that journey here this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we are so grateful for all of your goodness to us. You are a good, good Father. And we love you. You have gathered us here. And this place is holy because you are here. And how you remind us, even in the physical structure of the tent um, that that you are building an eternal dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth so thank you for reminding us in a very vivid tangible way father That this world is passing away. But your world, your kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth will never pass away. Your word will never pass away. Encourage our spirits with that. Teach us this morning. Help me get out of the way so that what you once said gets said. To the glory of Christ and the good of And the church said, Amen. Well, I want to tell you about a small group at a church that was studying through a passage of Scripture, much like this portion of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be speaking of this morning, this theme of Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At the end of the evening, this small group gathered around a coffee table in the living room where they were. 
and they emptied their pockets. They put their billfold, their purses, their pictures of their children, their car keys, cash, debit cards, everything. This coffee table that was once clean and uncluttered now was like a heap of human possessions. And then they prayed this gesture of offering everything to the Lord. And in an act of surrender, the group prayed, Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They prayed that earnestly. They prayed that together as a group. They prayed that not knowing the future. And after that evening, over time, that prayer disrupted each person's life in that group. I'm not kidding you. Each person. Children moved. Jobs changed. Houses were put up for sale. It was total upheaval. That prayer turned everyone's lives upside down and inside out. At first it really felt scary. But over time, looking back, each person in that group would say that what had happened as a result of praying that prayer was the hardest most fulfilling, most meaningful time in their lives. They experienced in a way that they would have missed had they not prayed that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, if we really understood what it was we were asking God to do, when praying that prayer, I think we push the pause button. I really do. I wonder if, if that phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I wonder if that is the most threatening verse of the Lord's prayer. It's a threat to your agenda. It's a threat to your calendar. It's a threat to your money. It's a threat to your relationships. It's a threat to your time. It threatens where you live. It threatens whether or not you suffer. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you are inviting God to take you where you really don't want to go so that he can put in you what would not exist otherwise. And today I want to encourage us with all of our hearts to lean into that threat. I want to encourage us to look into the face of our Heavenly Father and pray earnestly and faithfully and with trust 
Father God, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Matthew chapter 6.10 contains this phrase. What's going on here when we pray this verse of the Lord's Prayer? What, what, what are we saying? And I just want to put it this way. When we say, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I propose that we are, we are making an oath, we're committing an act, and we're giving a cry. Oath, act, cry. To pray thy kingdom come is to swear allegiance. It is to commit treason. It is to cry victory. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is at one and the same time an oath of allegiance, an act of treason, and a cry of victory. That's where we're going this morning. First, an oath of allegiance. Thy kingdom come is an oath of allegiance. So when Jesus spoke these words, Rome ruled the earth. Rome had its way. Rome was the dominant army, the dominant economy, the dominant culture. Rome was the dominant kingdom. Rome was unchallenged. Unchallenged. Think about that. And not just for a couple of hundred years. But it was founded uh, around 750 B.C. I mean, so even at the time of Christ, when Christ taught these verses, Rome had been in power over 700 years. Think about that for just a minute. They were unchallenged. But on August the 24th, A.D. 410, this unchallenged, dominant city of Rome was sacked by Alaric of the Visigoths. He invaded the capital city, the eternal city, Rome. It was a city so corrupt by the year A.D. 410 that someone let Alaric in from the inside. People were trying to interpret this cataclysmic event that occurred. And Christians were asking, what's going on? How do we interpret this? And then there was a pastor in northern Africa whose name was Augustine. And he wrote a book to believers to interpret that. And the book is called the city of God. And Augustine taught Christians the reality of two cities in the world. A city within a city. The first city is the city of God. And the city of God is filled with citizens who have sworn an oath of allegiance to the one true God. In the city of God, Christ's sovereign authority is joyfully followed. Words like love, grace, truth, peace, Justice, mercy, righteousness, resilience, and holiness dominate. In the city of God, everything is exactly as God wants it to be. And the longing of every Christian is to live in that city. And the longing 
prayer of every believer is, God, make it so. Make come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come. We can't, but you can. The Apostle Paul says that by grace through faith in Christ, we're made citizens in the city of God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 promises heavenly citizenship to all in Christ from Rome to Athens, from Tehran to Jerusalem, from Washington to Beijing to Moscow, from the Philippines to the Dominican Republic, from Africa, Uganda, Rwanda, Ghana, Nigeria, from Venezuela to Brazil to Peru to, in to England, from Nepal to Haiti. Some from every tribe and tongue and ethnicity constitute the citizenry of the kingdom of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. The city of God is ruled by the Son of God. Jesus unites all people from everywhere into one people forever. And Ephesians 1 says that God's will, God's will, may your will be done. What is that will? God's will, according to Ephesians 1, is that, is that God is uniting all things in heaven and on earth. In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Heaven is God's space. Earth is our space. And one day, brothers and sisters, hear me. This is true. One day, called the day, the king will appear and heaven and earth will be fused together into one recreated sacred space called the new heavens and the new earth. This is our destiny. The city of God's primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. The city of God's primary love is from Christ. And the city of God's promised destiny is eternal life in Christ. And yet, what we now currently possess citizenship in the new heavens and the new earth, we don't yet reside there yet, do we? Do we? And that makes our church an embassy of heaven. And that makes us, you and me, together, we are ambassadors of the king whose realm has yet to be fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the city of God. But until we move until the, into this ultimate home, we experience a different city. And Augustine called this the city of man. And the city of man is characterized by man. Man's selfishness. Man's godlessness, man's strife, man's conflict, and even man's definition of righteousness. The city of man is, um, uh, is man-centered. The city of man wants life on its own terms. The city of man wants to define the terms. And the city of man has a primary love. Man. And when the love of man 
dominates the city of man, then we'll just only love those of our own tribe or clan or family. And as a result, the love that animates the city of man is not expansive or selfless or self-giving. Rather, it fiercely guards its own interests. The city of man is a shrink-wrapped, claustrophobic kingdom who, who, whose will is autonomy from the one true God. And Augustine taught that while the city of God, the city of God, is a coming city that will never pass away. The city of man, even now, church family, is a passing thing. When, when Rome was at its height, it was already crumbling within. And Augustine warned us not to be confused by these two cities. Augustine's point is that the city of man is crumbling because it is built on the wrong love. But the city of God, though it may appear ineffective or inglorious to the human eye from below, it will endure because it is built on the love of God and the will of God. Whose will is always, according to Romans 12, good, pleasing, and perfect. But don't mistake it. One is passing and the other is coming. And if we are blind to the destinies of these two cities, we'll see a passing thing as a coming thing and a coming thing as a passing thing. And Augustine taught that the two cities remind us that the kingdom of God is not a part of the political systems of this world because no government on earth fully represents God's kingdom. Instead, Christians are citizens of a kingdom that will one day arrive in glory. And our hope is not that the governments of this world will transform into the kingdom of God, but that the kingdom of God will, will come from heaven to earth and permeate through every part of our world, every part of our culture, every part of the, the prayer is that the kingdom would come and fall down so that Christ would be glorified. And if we forget this, we'll value the wrong city and pursue the wrong kingdom and serve the wrong king. So Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your realm dominate our dreams and desires even as they dominate heaven. We pledge allegiance to you, Lord God. And, and if I can be very specific about a definition of God's kingdom, let me put it this way. God's kingdom is where what God wants done gets done. That's God's kingdom. Where what God wants done gets done. So, so thy will be done explains thy kingdom come. God's kingdom is wherever God's will is done. If God's will is being done in your heart and in your life, then that's where the kingdom is. And so that's our, that's our oath of allegiance. Thy kingdom come is an oath. Man, I am sweating like a televangelist. <laughs> There, there it is. My goodness. 
Yeah. I, I don't want to go very far with that thought because we're live, so. <laughs> so, but can you see that in praying that prayer? It's really, it's, a, it's, it's an oath of allegiance to the one true king. And the city, the city of God, the city of Christ. And it's, it's something else. It's something more. So, so, to, so you understand, right? To, to pledge an oath of allegiance to one king is at one and the same time an act of treason against another. And Jesus is teaching us to pray for the overthrow of the kingdom of this world. He's teaching us to pray for a coup of its leader and the establishment of the rightful king. But I'm not talking about the overthrow of any earthly government. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about a spiritual government led by the evil one, the Satan. The accuser, the adversary, scripture calls him the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He has a ruling seat. His kingdom is darkness, and his kingdom's official language is lies. Jesus himself said that. And Satan sets up his dominion by storming the castle of your heart and my heart and your mind and my mind. And so to pray thy kingdom come is, it's a cry of dissatisfaction. It is to plead for Satan's kingdom to fall. And when a tyrant is displaced, we want his statues to be defaced and toppled and dragged in open view. We want Satan and all of his de demonic scheming and deadly seduction and destructive systems to be shattered. We want Christ's light to dispel the darkness of the devil. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, we are not loyal to the God of this world. We renounce the city of man. We resist Satan's laws and rules at every turn. We will not salute his flag nor bow before his statues. We are yours. We belong to your good and just rule. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's what it is to pray that prayer. Did you know that? But brothers and sisters, I'll just be candid with you. I find, I find that the city of man dies hard in my heart. And so I find this part of the Lord's Prayer difficult. Oh, it's easy to talk. It's easy to say. Tough to live. It's hard for me to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength because, because I love myself. I, I love my agenda. I love my schedule. I love my plan. I, I, I want the weather channel. I want my communication tools so that I can stay in touch and stay on top of my email and my favorite blog sites and my chats. And, and, and why? Why? Well, because I want my will done. 
I have a kingdom to construct. I have a name to make. I have a career to launch. I have a church to grow. This, this whole thing is just, I find it rather inconvenient. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We, I mean, we, we don't always greet God's kingdom with delight. You know, we want certain things in life, and not only, we not only want them, but we, we know how and when and where we want them. I want my wife to be a joyful and committed supporter of my dreams. I, I want my schedule to be unobstructed and predictable. I, I want people to hold me in high regard. I want, I, I want self-parenting children. <laughs> I, I, want a, I want a self-pastoring church. You know why I don't get to play golf as much? Because I don't have a self-pastoring church. If I had a self-pastoring church, <laughs> you, get, you have to say that out loud to hear how silly that sounds, but... I want what I want on demand. That's what I want. That's what I want. I, I'll tell you what I want. I want to take, so I've got this remote control uh, device. Down in our basement where our television is, I've got this re remote control device. And when I push a button, I can speak into it. And then it, I used to have to get up and trudge over to the TV. And do you remember that? Yeah, some of you do. But now all I got to do is I just hold this thing and I press a button and I say, Ariel America, Montana. And I'm there. You know, I'm there. I just want I just want to push the button, speak into it and watch it obey. <laughs> Man, I don't want to suffer. I don't want discomfort. I, you know, I, have you ever stopped to just listen to yourself? Does the soundtrack of your life sometimes sound like this? I want. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. James 4, verses 1 through 3, says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I'm telling you, what makes this prayer hard for this pastor is that I, I just don't want to commit treason against my heart. But here's the deal, and there's no other way to say it. It is impossible to want the king when you want to be the king. And so thy kingdom come as a call to treason against the city of man in my heart. So this prayer is a prayer about who runs my heart. Who gets to be in control? Who makes the decision in my life? Who rules? Who is my primary allegiance? And Jesus made it clear. He said, my Food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 4, 34. John 5, 30. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38. For I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And you know in Gethsemane, twice Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. This, this portion of the Lord's prayer just permeates Jesus' life. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want a couple branch here and a branch there. I want the whole tree to come down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. I want to pull it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. I want the whole outfit and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. An oath, an act, and now a cry. Thy kingdom come is the cry of victory. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a victory not by the sword, but by the cross. On the cross, the city of God burst into the world with a head-crushing blow to the serpent. Colossians 2.15 says, Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. The cross crushed Satan. The cross displayed self-sacrifice. The cross paid the debt of our sin. The cross washed our iniquity. The cross acquitted our guilt. Furthermore, the empty tomb validated the cross. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, certified, authorized, and legitimatized all Christ did to forever defeat the city of man. Thy kingdom come, therefore, becomes the cry of evangelism. Oh God, awaken our community to see the glory of Christ. King Jesus, conquer every insurgent heart and make it yours. Capture rebels and adopt them as your sons and daughters. Make every profession of faith and every baptism exalt the Father and humiliate Satan. Father God, when we pray for your kingdom to come, we want you to conquer souls. We want you to shine the gospel on the hearts of men and women and children so that they will see and savor your kingdom of glory. And we know that you can do this because you've done it for us. Amen? Is that not why we're here? We're here to say, God, you've won. You've won. And now, and now, bring what you've won in us to our community. Let your kingdom come and bring your victory through your people corporately. See, it's not just an individual victory, it's a corporate victory. So each week, uh, Michelle Santiago updates me as well as the other staff. But I get updated on just what God is doing 
through our congregation, even in this season. And so Michelle updated me. And she just, I was just so encouraged to hear the ways that our church family continues to meet the needs of our Champaign-Urbana community. Church has not been canceled, I tell you. And so God, through us, he's providing child care for the Crisis Nursery Center. God, through us, is partnering with Salt and Life for children and student programming and family wellness. God, through us, are hosting a, a summer outdoor safety program with an organization which we partner called DreamHouse, and it happens right here in this space. God, through us, is fasting and praying for our community, for peace and reconciliation in Champaign County. That's what God is doing. That's victory. John Perkins is a pastor and author and civil rights leader. He said, there is no institution, listen to this, there is no institution more equipped and capable of bringing transformation to the cause of reconciliation than the church. Than the church. So, so we're not just called to pray this prayer ourselves. We're called to share this prayer with others. The church family, do you know why? Luke, Luke tells us this in Luke 11. Do you know why Jesus taught the 12 to pray what we know is the Lord's Prayer. Do you know why? Here it is. Luke 11 says that the disciples saw what he was doing and then asked him to teach them. So it's not enough for us to pray this. We want East Central Illinois to pray this, but they need to see, they need to hear us praying it. It's, you know this, right? It's, it's, not, it's not so much taught as it is caught. And so prayer is not about getting what we want. It's about lingering with the Father long enough that we become like our Father and that our will becomes bent to His desires. We delight in His desires. Oh God, change my desires. Thy kingdom come. It's an oath of allegiance. It's an act of treason. It's a cry of victory. Uh, there's a book that I'm reading through called Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. And the author tells about a pastor who was greeted by a gentleman after church. And uh, they shook hands and the man, man just said this right out of the blue. He said, Pastor, I want you to know that my answer is yes. Now what's the question? And the pastor just, nobody had ever said something like that to him before. So he, he nodded and said something like, God bless you, and went on. And so, and the next week, same thing happened. Shook the pastor's hand at the door. Pastor, I want you to know that my answer is yes. Now, what's the question? <laughs> That's twice he said that. And finally, the third week, when the guy said that, the pastor said, you know what, I'd like to have coffee with you. The man said, of course, I told you the answer is yes. <laughs> so they had coffee. And after the first sip, the pastor said, brother, why do you keep saying that? And this man just sighed 
a sense of satisfaction like he, like he couldn't wait to be asked. And he proceeded to tell the, just a heart-wrenching story of how Christ rescued him from the kingdom of darkness and put him into the kingdom of light. He was rescued in so many ways. And then the brother said, Pastor, that's why I want you to know that my answer to you is always yes because of how Jesus has changed my life through our church. I will always be available to him and to you. So if you if you ask me most church are, I'll be honored to do it. If you need money to help a single mom, I'll give it without hesitation. If you need someone to drive a widow to church, I'm, I'm your driver. Pastor, I want you to know that my answer is yes. You just let me know the question. I'm telling you, that brother has read this prayer. And that is the heart of, of someone that God will use. You remember the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and his words, Lord, here am I, send me. Isaiah did not ask for the details ahead of time. He didn't ask God where or when or to whom. He didn't stipulate anything. He just said, God, send me. Use me. I don't need the specifics. I don't need to know the benefits. I don't need to know if it's going to be easy or if I will like it. Because I trust you. I trust you. You have rescued me from darkness. You are love. So I surrender my will to you. Every part of me. Take my mind, my eyes, my mouth, my ears, my heart, my hands, my feet. Guide me toward your will. I will follow you. God, my answer is yes. What's the question? What would your life look like if you prayed that way? If we prayed that way? What would our community look like? Aren't you sick of safe prayers? Are you tired of living for things that don't matter? Brothers and sisters, pray the prayer. That's the dangerous prayer. The threatening prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The church said, Amen.